Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. Tonight our study takes us to Revelation chapter 15. If you have your schedule of the events to take place before and after the return of Jesus the Messiah, our study has brought us down to Roman numeral 3. We're in the last three and a half years of the tribulation. And we are down to letter G. The bowls of God's wrath are poured out toward the end of the tribulation. That's in chapter 16 of Revelation. Tonight, we're going to look at chapter 15, which is the preparation for the pouring out of God's wrath during the end time. Chapter 15 prepares us for the greatest outpouring of God's wrath that human history will ever experience. It prepares us for the seven bowls of God's wrath. Let me read, and you read along with me, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 15. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast in its image, And the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass, with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name. For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. After this I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened. And out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure, bright linen, with golden sashes around their chest. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with the smoke from the glory of God and from His power, and no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Now let's pull together the three glorious themes of Revelation. Each are seen in this chapter as well as they continue to emerge throughout the book of Revelation. These overarching themes need to be in our minds as we study the book, as we look at end times. They will help us keep it in perspective. First theme is God's sovereignty. He is in control of all the things that happen. No matter how bad things on earth appear, God is still on His throne. It's amazing how many times throughout this book that deals with what's going to be happening on earth that we 
get a vision of heaven. That we are reminded as we see the throne of God, as we see the temple of God in heaven, that God is on His throne. In chapter 1, we have the glorified Christ presented to us in verses 12 through 19. In chapters 4 and 5, we have the throne of God as we look into the throne room of heaven. In chapter 7, verses 10 through 12, again we see the throne. In chapter 8, verses 1 through 5, again we see the throne. In chapter 11, verse 19, we see the temple, God's dwelling place in heaven. In chapter 15, in this chapter, we will see the temple in verses 5 through 8. Again, as we look into the Holy of Holies, that tabernacle in heaven. And then in chapter 19, again, we are brought to the throne of God. So this is John's way of continuing to remind us, hey, God is sovereign. What you're seeing may look like everything is out of control, that the world is completely falling apart, that the Antichrist is having his way, but be assured, God is sovereignly in control. Second theme is that God's power to preserve His saints. We are assured over and over again that God does not lose one single saint. God is able to preserve them through the wrath of the Antichrist. Many will be martyred, many will suffer, but God will bring all of them through victoriously. Again, we're shown continually this victorious group of saints. We saw them in chapter 7, those tribulation saints who'd come through the tribulation. We see them in chapter 12 again. We saw them in Revelation chapter 14, verse 4. And now we see them in this chapter in verse 5. As those who are standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands, singing the song of Moses, and the song of the Lamb. God wants us to be assured, no matter matter how bad things look, He is going to preserve His own. His people will be preserved from His wrath, and they will come through the tribulation victoriously. Third glorious theme, God's righteous judgment and wrath on the Christ-rejecting world. The flip side of God's love is His wrath. Revelation clearly teaches that God is going to pour out His wrath in an unprecedented way on the Christ-rejecting during the tribulation. God is preparing the world for the consummation of history. In some way, this will work out to accomplish God's plan for mankind. Now this outpouring of God's wrath in Revelation is described in three ways. First, the seven seals. Then the seven trumpets. And then the seven bowls. Each is more intense than the previous one. The trumpets are more intense than the seals. The bowls are more intense than the trumpets. Each representing a greater pouring out of God's wrath and judgment. Yet even in this display of God's wrath and judgment, His mercy is not absent. 
He is calling people to repentance. He's calling mankind to repentance through these judgments and the pouring out of his wrath. First, we have the seven seals that we saw in chapter 6. You remember these take place prior to the tribulation. We saw the first seal was the birth of the rise of the Antichrist. The second seal was war. And I told you I thought that was in Ezekiel 38 and 39. The third seal was famine. A loaf of bread that cost a day's wages. A fourth seal was death. A fourth of the world's population. In today's terms, 1.7 billion people die as a result of the sword of famine, disease, and wild beast. The fifth seal was martyrdom of Christians. The sixth seal was great cosmic upheaval. Mountains fall into the sea. Islands are moved. Meteors fall. This might be a limited nuclear exchange. Unbelievers will cry for the rocks to fall on them. And then the seventh seal is actually the seven trumpets. Okay? So the seventh seal contains the seven trumpets. We saw those in chapter 8. During the seven years of tribulation, God seals His people and He protects them, similar to what we saw with the Exodus plagues. Remember the Israelites experienced the first three plagues and then they were protected from the others. Christians and non-Christians will experience the seals, but when we come to the trumpets of God's wrath, God will seal His own and we will be protected. The first trumpet was fire and hail on the third of the earth. Great ecological imbalance. Second trumpet, burning mass, falls into the sea. This may well be a, a meteor. A third of the earth, a third of the sea becomes blood. A third of the fish die. A third of the ships are destroyed. The third trumpet was a great meteor, falls on a third of the rivers. And a third of the rivers become poisoned and many die. The fourth trumpet, a third of the heavenly bodies are darkened. We talked about temperature change result of that, shorter growing seasons, and all the imbalance that will result because of that. And then with the fifth trumpet, we get into the supernatural realm. As we see demonic forces released from the abyss to torment unbelievers. They cannot kill them, though unbelievers will beg for death. They will not be able to die, but they will be tormented for five months. And then the sixth trumpet was a demonic army of 200 million strong. And they will kill a third of the mankind that is left. And then the seventh trumpet is the third woe. And this includes the seven bowls of God's wrath in chapter 16. And it is through these bowls of God's wrath that God will complete His plans for human history. This will involve the war of Armageddon. In verse 1, it says, For with them the wrath of God is finished. That word finished is telos, which means completed. Reach its designated conclusion. Reach its purpose. This is the same root word that was used when Jesus died on the cross, and He said, It is finished meaning the work for the redemption of His people was accomplished. The payment for the sins of His people was complete. Here the wrath of God for this period of human history will be complete. Now hell still awaits, 
So there is still the more of the outpouring of God's wrath and judgment to come, but for human history as we know it, these bowls will complete, will bring to a conclusion the outpouring of God's wrath and judgment. Now let's move to the glorious saints that we see in verses 1 and 2. First, God shows us a glimpse of heaven. Now this is the same pattern that we had before the seals in chapter 6. We had chapter 5, the vision of the Lamb of God. And the same thing we saw before the trumpets were blown. We had a vision into heaven. Before the seals were revealed, we saw the Lamb. Before the trumpets, we looked in and saw those tribulation saints protected, preserved, and purchased by the Lord Jesus Christ. So it is the same pattern before the bowls of wrath are revealed. We get a glimpse into heaven. God is assuring us He is in control. He assures us that the events on earth are being controlled in heaven, even though they will look very hellish. Then John immediately sees the tribulation saints. Those blessed saints that keep showing up in this book. Here again, they come off victorious. And I saw verse 2 what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire. And also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name. They were victorious. In fact, every time we see the tribulation saints, they are associated with victory. Whether it's in chapter 7 or chapter 14 or this chapter. God wants to emphatically assure us that He will preserve His own through the tribulation. He will bring us through victoriously. We also notice the glass sea is mixed with fire in verse 2. Standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. Now the first time that that sea is mentioned was over in chapter 4, verse 6. Nothing mentioned about fire there. Now it's mixed with fire. Now this may be a reference to the Red Sea of the Exodus. And just as God delivered the Israelites from Pharaoh, as they stood across a Red Sea, they saw Pharaoh's army destroyed. So the tribulation saints delivered from the Antichrist, as they stand on the crystal sea mixed with fire, watch as God destroys the Antichrist and his followers. That could be what it means. Or... It could simply mean that they have crossed over the crystal sea through sufferings and trials. And therefore, the fire is symbolic of sufferings and trials. Next, notice that the tribulation saints sing two songs. First, they sing the song of Moses. Now, there is a little disagreement among commentators on exactly what is the Song of Moses? There seems to be more than one Song of Moses, one in Deuteronomy. Uh, I tend to think that the Song of Moses is talking about is the Song of Moses over in chapter 15 of Exodus, the song that they sang when God delivered them from Pharaoh and his army as they came through the Red Sea. 
You remember they just had a regular uh, shouting party there. And let me just read some of this for you. Uh, But it is a psalm that deals with the power of God. Uh, It is a psalm that deals with God's victory and His deliverance from the enemy. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang the song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider He has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my salvation. He has become my salvation. He's my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise Him. My Father's God, and I will exalt Him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is His name. And then he goes on to continue to talk about how God had delivered them. And I think that is the song that these tribulation saints will be singing because it stresses God's power to deliver them. It stresses God's strength. God's holiness and God's greatness. And they also sing the song of the Lamb. And I think that's the song that we have listed uh, in verse 3 and 4. The glorious song of the Lamb. Now there are three themes in this song. First, God's works are great and marvelous. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty. The first thing they sing about are God's works. Now, God's works equals His doings, His accomplishments. God's works that they're singing about would include all that we've seen in Revelation. The seals, the trumpets, God protecting the tribulation saints, the two witnesses and God protecting them and raising them from the dead. All the other things that God has done in Revelation would be included in the works that they are describing as great and marvelous. The word great is that word mega. It's used 80 times in the book of Revelation, which means large, great. And indeed, the works of God as we see them in Revelation, are great. They are large. You have the sixth trumpet with 200 million demonic creatures released, a third of the world killed. You see a fourth of the world killed. You see uh, great earthquakes. Uh, You see uh, the outpouring of, of God's wrath through meteors falling down from the sky. Indeed, His works are great and they are uh, indeed large. Reminds me of Psalm 111, which says, Great are the works of the Lord. They are studied by all who delight in them. So at first they say His works are great. They are mega. But He also says they are marvelous. Now, this is akin to gaze in wonder. The idea is one of awe-inspiring, extraordinary, In the Septuagint, this word was used to describe the burning bush as Moses looked at it. And it was awe-inspiring, this bush that burned, but it didn't burn up or burn down, so to speak. And this caught Moses' attention. It was was amazing to him. It, it It was beyond his understanding. And this is a word that's used to speak of the works of God. The idea is of amazement beyond complete understanding. This was the word Jesus used. 
when he said that the cornerstone that God had made, the chief cornerstone, was the one that was rejected by men. How amazing that is. The one that God has made the most precious is the very one that men rejected. So these tribulation saints are saying that the accomplishments of the Lord God Almighty are both great and awe-inspiring, as well as somewhat beyond our understanding. They are singing praises to Him. Next, the theme of God's ways are righteous and true. Now, God's ways equals His manner, His way of doing things. Humanly speaking, we would say one's lifestyle, one's conduct. The Bible talks about the way of Cain. talks about the way of Balaam. And this means their lifestyle, their, their manner of behaving, their conduct. So here these tribulation saints are referring to the manner of God's dealing with mankind. God's works issue forth from His ways. And the basis for His Him doing what He does is His ways. And notice how they describe the way of God, the lifestyle of God, that which from which all of His works issue forth. Righteous and true. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Just, fair, righteous. Always in accord with His holy standard. Lest anyone accuse God of being unjust and pour out His wrath and His judgment on the Christ rejecting, they declare He is eternally righteous in all His ways. Psalm 97 says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. The foundation means that everything that His throne does is, is rested upon righteousness and justice. Everything God does, everything, is steeped, is rooted, is grounded in righteousness and in justice. He is just. He is fair. God's manner is always righteous. Now notice who is singing this. These are those who have suffered greatly at the hands of the Antichrist. I mean, many of these have, have suffered horrendous torture and been killed and seen family members killed at the hands of the Antichrist. And yet, they say, God, your ways are just. Your ways are fair. They're not bitter. They're not complaining. They're not saying, God, why did I have to go through this? Why did we have to suffer like this? They're saying, God, your ways are just. They're righteous. They're fair. And also, he said, they say they're true. Faithful is another word for that. Trustworthy, overt, not concealed. Uh, true means not concealing. In fact, the word for truth has, is the prefix a, which means not. 
and the word for concealing. So truth is really not concealing. Saying what's there. Uh, not holding and covering everything, anything up. And so I think they're saying God's ways are always straightforward. They are above board. Unlike the Antichrist that is using trickery and deceit uh, to try to deceive people and kill people and trick them into worshiping Him and taking His sign. The ways of God are trustworthy. They are faithful. They are always above board. They are overt. So he says God's works are great and they are amazing. God's ways are just and they are true. And then he speaks, they sing of God's character, which is holy. Verse 4, Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name, for you alone are holy. Totally above and separate from all. Remember, we have said holiness in its root meaning, in its most basic meaning, means separate. It means to be totally other. Now, purity and uh, absolute perfection, that's an aspect of holiness but the root meaning is that of being totally above and totally separate from all. God is called the Holy One of Israel. Around His throne, His holiness is celebrated. As the living creatures say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. We are exhorted to give thanks to His holy name, saying praises to the Lord, you His godly ones, and give thanks to His holy name. Psalm 30, verse 4. Throughout everything we see in Revelation, we must keep God's absolute holiness before us. He is infinitely above us in His ways and His acts. And we must affirm His holiness even when we do not understand. And that is a good word for us Today as well. Because there will be times, perhaps many times in your life, that you're not going to understand how God is working and why He's doing what He's doing. You and I believe in the sovereignty of God. We know that even when the devil might be the messenger boy, he's under God's control. That the devil may light the furnace, but God has His hand on the thermostat. The devil can never do anything to you that does not come through the sovereign hands of your God. And so where does that leave us with no matter what happens to us, it leaves us with the thought, God, you allowed this. You could have stopped it. You allowed it. I don't understand. Well, when that happens, and it will, and it does, let's all admit it, we have to fall back on what we do understand. God's ways are just. His ways are true. His works are marvelous beyond our understanding. And He is holy. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth, the Scripture says, so are His ways above our ways and His thoughts above our thoughts. And we have got to 
simply bow before His sovereignty, acknowledging we don't understand, but proclaiming He is holy. He is totally other. And He doesn't have to explain to us, does He? And the truth is, we don't live on explanations anyway. We live on promises. We think we would endure better if we could understand. Well, we couldn't. What you can endure better is when you take the promises of God and believe them and believe Him and who He says He is. So there they sang the glorious song of the Lamb. Now let's look at this glorious smoke that appears. Verse 5, After this I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened. Now this refers to the holy of holies. You remember the earthly tabernacle was built as a shadow or a replica of the heavenly tabernacle. Remember when God gave Moses instructions in Exodus of how to build it? He said, follow these exactly because it's a copy of the heavenly tabernacle. All right? Remember the Holy of Holies. First you had the holy place. And inside the holy place, it was divided up into two sections. Remember? There was uh, uh, the place where the showbread was and the incense was burned and, and the candelabra. But then there was a veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. Remember? That's where the Ark of the Covenant was. Nobody could go in there except the high priest once a year and then through the blood of bulls and goats. That was where it was said God resided with His people between the cherubim, the angels that were on the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. Remember? All right, this is what John says. He looks and he sees into the Holy of Holies, the sanctuary of the inner tent of heaven. This is God's way of saying these judgments, these bowls are coming from Him. Again, He makes it clear to us that to reject His love is to experience His judgment and wrath. The angels come forth out of this holy place with seven plagues. They are clothed in pure bright linen with golden sashes around their chest. Again, gold is associated with the holy place and the holy of holies. Remember, the Ark of the Covenant was overlaid with gold. The utensils in the holy place were gold. You get outside where the altar of sacrifice, it was brazen. But here, again, it's it's stressing these angels have come from the presence of God. They are God's emissaries. They are His messengers. And one of the four living creatures, remember we saw them around the throne in chapters 4 and 5, one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. Now, these bowls probably would be more accurately called a saucer. You and I think of a bowl, we think of a pretty deep thing, right? A saucer usually is not that deep. And the Greek word here 
was used to speak of the censer that they put the coals in. So it's probably the picture you, you should get is not of a, uh, a big bowl or a pitcher, and it's just being poured out, and it just has a stream coming out. Uh, that's not the picture we need to get with these bowls. But rather, it's like a, a saucer, and it's all thrown out at one time. You know, it's poured out at once. Uh, not like a stream, but just emptying out the saucer completely. So here we have the four, one of the four living creatures gives each of these seven angels each a bowl filled with the seven plagues that uh, will finish the wrath of God on human history as we know it. Now notice what happens. And the sanctuary, verse 8, was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from His power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. We have seen this glorious smoke at other times in Scripture. Remember? When the tabernacle was completed over in Exodus chapter 40, the glory of God so descended on it that no one could enter. It's called the Shekinah glory cloud in the Old Testament. We see when the ark was brought into the temple of Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 8, that the glory of the Lord there became so great that they couldn't stand it and everyone had to leave the temple. In Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah looks into the throne of God, he says he saw the glory of the Lord, and it filled the temple as smoke. Here we have the smoke from the glory of God and from His power. Again, I think what we're being told is that these final displays of the wrath and judgment of God will in some way glorify and display His power as perhaps we've never seen it before. So much so that everybody has to leave the sanctuary in heaven. Now some commentators say that that means nobody can be in there praying. I don't know if there's a significance there to that or simply it's saying again, this is a turning point. This is a, a time in human history that is so awesome, so amazing, so horrific that even heaven is affected by it. And that God's power and glory are so manifested People have to leave the sanctuary. That brings us to next week, chapter 16, as we see the bowls of God's wrath.